Welcome, market participants, to another three things in credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. We made it through the volatile months of September and October, and now it's on to the era of central bank tightening. Although we'll have to give Bank of England time to catch up. All right, let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, the spike in home values. We remain comfortable with the risks to markets and the broader economy, and there are opportunities emerging in what could be a housing super cycle. Two, where did all the savings go? Apparently, it's been spent, taking away one off-discussed engine of future spending growth. And three, government bond market volatility. Should we care? All right, let's get started. Housing. How should we think about housing? Well, here's what we know. Housing values are spiking in ways that are unnatural, which naturally reminds people of the last time we saw something along these lines, the period leading up to the GFC. So, to say the least, we keep an eye on it. Now, back in the spring, we spoke on the podcast about the key differences this go-around versus the GFC. Namely, loan underwriting practices that are far more sensible, i.e. conservative, today than 15 years ago, and the decided lack of housing supply today compared to the years leading up to the GFC. So we are less concerned today, far less concerned, about the systemic risk of the financial system and in turn the economy. But we would be negligent to ignore what's going on in housing. Market excesses, did somebody say bubble? Correct at some point, and in their most powerful form, it can cause an economic downturn. So if you believe this will correct, What we're really talking about is just how significant a mark will the correction leave. We believe home prices will flatten out, and we would agree with Yale professor and monthly observer of home prices Robert Schiller, who acknowledges that the current market has, quote, aspects of a bubble to it, unquote, and that the correction will cause some pain. But he also acknowledges that this housing market is not a market that runs the risk of collapsing overnight, like the stock market. Our view is that the housing will correct when one or two things happen. Affordability falls and or the threat of the next recession looms relatively large, say a 30% or greater probability. Affordability is already stretched, which we believe has already started the flattening out process. Some 60% of consumers, a cyclical high, believe now is a bad time to buy a house because of high prices. And the economy is decelerating which will bring us closer to the point where consumer behavior grows more conservative. We would expect that in 2022. Still, with economic growth expected to double the long-term norm in the U.S. in 2022, the likelihood of a sharp correction in housing anytime soon is quite low. But here's another angle to the housing story, the shortage of houses. Blackstone estimates that there is a cumulative shortfall of over 4 million units since the GFC, and that we are about to embark on a housing super cycle. Demand figures to remain high as millennials boost household formation, by just how much remains controversial, and work from home remains a thing. Meanwhile, construction of new homes is expected to remain constrained over the near term due to shortages of labor and materials. And while that has caused homebuilder stocks to flatten out since the spring, at levels well above pre-pandemic, we would add, the credit story around housing remains appealing. All right, on to our second thing. Where do the savings go? One of the omnipresent narratives throughout the pandemic period has been the unexpected jump in Americans' savings rates. 
The long-term average is around 7% of disposable income. Stimulus like we've never seen before caused that to jump to levels we've never seen before, 34% in April of 2020, and we've remained at double-digit rates for 15 straight months up to this past May. And keep in mind, this occurred despite spending like there's no tomorrow, mostly on durable goods and housing, and crypto, and DraftKings, and Robinhood. While we couldn't spend on many personal services, leisure activities, or vacations, we were going to spend come hell or high water. Yet all of a sudden, the savings rate has fallen in five of the past six months and is now, at 7.5% in September, back to its long-term norm. That much-vaunted pile of money ready to be unleashed into the economy that was as high as $5.8 trillion as recently as March 31st, is now down to $1.3 trillion. And it's not like we've got a fresh round of stimulus on a way to replenish things and drive household spending. In fact, personal income in September fell 1% from the previous month. So this is kind of what the return to normal looks like. Then why has the National Retail Federation come out with a holiday spending forecast that has, in their words, the potential to shatter previous records? The NRF is forecasting sales in November and December to grow between 8.5% and 10.5% over 2020 levels, double, and then some, the average annual increase of 4.4% over the past five years. Are consumers simply throwing caution to the wind and willing to run savings down even further? We would say no, that rarely happens, especially when consumer sentiment remains cautious at best. The answer could be surging household net worth. With the stock market and home values hitting new highs, the wealth effect just might make hitting those spending targets possible. All right, on to our third thing, bond market volatility. Say what you want about the Fed, but few can argue that it has been deficient in its communications to the market. Nothing has been a surprise, and as a result, there is no taper tantrum here. Sure enough, on news of the central bank's plan to start tapering its bond purchases, markets digested the news with a giant meh. Moreover, we believe Chair Powell artfully described where the Fed sits, despite the fact that the financial world today seemingly falls in two camps. One, which believes that the Fed tightens, it's a policy error. And two, if the Fed doesn't tighten, it's a policy error. Tough job, that Fed chair. This calm, competent execution of managing massive monetary accommodation in the face of a 100-year health crisis is commendable, and markets have been remarkably well-behaved throughout. Investors' fear gauge, the VIX, sits at or near a pandemic-era low as stocks hit new records. So what is happening in the bond market? The MOVE Index, an acronym named long ago as the Merrill Lynch Options Volatility Estimate, now it's the ICE B of A MOVE Index, measures uncertainty in the rates markets. It bounced meaningfully in September before settling back this past week. That's been reassuring in terms of things that would make the rates market nervous, like inflation fears. But lately, we've seen fairly dramatic front-end sell-offs in Canadian and Australian government bond markets as those regimes suggested they would allow rates to rise. Then the Bank of England went the other way, electing not to raise rates as many thought might be the case. Short-dated yields on gilts plunged. What to make of it all? No, probably not much. Longer-dated bond markets, more relevant to longer-dated credit, remain well-behaved, with the 10-year yields in the U.S. still inside of March's pandemic-era high. 
The volatility does reflect, however, the focus on central bank uncertainty for the brave new world that will unfold in 2022, a world of decelerating growth and concern over whether or not a shoe has yet to drop in terms of paying for all of that policy response, that printing of money that filled the economic hole in the economy created by COVID. For now, the economic underpinning to credit, that which shows up in measures of financial conditions, remains sound. So there you have it, three things in credit. One, the spike in home values. We remain comfortable with the risks to markets and the broader economy, and there are opportunities emerging in what could be a housing super cycle. Two, where did all the savings go? That pile of future spending has gone away, another sign that we are returning to a less ebullient normal. And three, government bond market volatility. We don't believe recent chop in the front end signals vulnerability to longer dated risk assets like credit. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest rating reports and research. And check out KBRA Alt, our data and data analytics website. See you next week.